Hi, everyone, and welcome to J Talks Live. I'm Anna Maria Tremonti. I'm the host of this virtual talk series. I'm also a broadcaster turned podcaster, host of the CBC podcast, More. Today, we're looking at the state of the US presidency and US politics post-election. And because I know none of you has been living under a rock, this post-election moment in time is, of course, one of a kind. The Trump presidency forced all Washington reporters into a different universe for the last four years. We're going to talk about how the Trump administration really changed coverage. We'll also explore what goes into covering such a diverse and divisive campaign and what a Joe Biden presidency means for the US and Canada. And with a Biden win and a Trump refusal to concede, what is next? Before I go any further, we want to give a big thanks to exclusive JTalks series sponsor, TD Bank Group, for making this series possible. And thank you also to in-kind supporters, CPAC and Cision. If you have questions for our guests today, submit them anytime. Just use the questions tab. I will get to questions about 30 minutes or so into our 45-minute conversation. And I've already got a lot of great questions, but I'm going to squeeze as many in as I can. If you'd like to tweet about this, ta this talk, the hashtag is JTalksLive. Now to our speakers who are waiting in Washington, Joy Malbin is Washington Bureau Chief for CTV National News, a role she has held since 2005. She has covered the Bush, Obama, and Trump administrations. Paul Hunter is a, a senior correspondent based in Washington for CBC News since 2008. He's covered the Trump and Obama administrations. And they work for competing networks, but they live under the same roof. They are a married couple. So how does that work? We're going to get to that too. But uh, <laughs> let's begin. Hi, Joy. Hi, Paul. Hey, Hi. <laughs> okay, so I know things are in flux. There's so much to talk to you about. But first of all, I'm wondering what you each are thinking about where things are going right now. Joy, why don't you start? Sure. I, I mean, right now we're in a state of flux because we have an outgoing president, Donald Trump, who refuses to concede, who refuses to admit that he lost uh, a flurry of lawsuits uh, in some of these tight battleground states and another president in waiting, Joe Biden, who's saying, you know what, I'm not waiting around. I'm going to go right ahead. He is already uh, his transition team is in place. He is uh, talking to health experts and scientists, getting ready a coronavirus task force, because as most people know across the world, the United States is, uh, you know, in um, a, a perilous state right now uh, where this pandemic is simply out of control. So we have two competing presidents, a president who won't go, and a lot of fear and trepidation about what he might do, firings, chaos, pardons, uh, in the next 70 odd days. Paul? I think there was a, yeah, you know, it's funny, down in front of the White House on Saturday after the call was made and, you know, Washington DC is a very democratic um, place. It, I think it's like 99% of the votes are Democrat here or something close to that. Um, so there was a lot of sort of jubilation and a sense that the country had moved to a different place, back to normal or whatever. But as well, it's playing out exactly as I think everybody expected, which is it isn't normal and it won't be normal at least until January 20th when the inauguration happens. And theoretically, it will become uh, back to normal, as, as some would put it. But Donald Trump is behaving 
exactly as he has, which is bull in the China shop, which is to disrupt, to do things that politicians don't do. Uh, in this case, uh, would say many to, to hang on to power. How? I don't know. It was interesting to hear Joe Biden the other day when he came out to talk uh, in Wilmington, not, not the night of the, uh, during the election week, uh, but just a couple of days ago. And he kind of poo-pooed it. He sort of said, you know, the transition is going on. Things will happen. There will be an inauguration January 20th and everything is fine. Like it almost as if to say, forget all that white noise. Uh, that's, that's just set it aside. Things are going uh, as he would expect them to. And don't forget that Biden's got, he's no rookie. Uh, he's been in the White House. He's been in the Obama administration. Uh, he's surrounded by people who know what they're doing. So on the one hand, everything is topsy-turvy, as Joy notes. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, certainly Joe Biden is trying to signal that, you know, uh, things are going to be okay. Uh, but in what we've what we've learned in the past four or five years really is to expect the unexpected. So the big truth is, you don't know. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the last five years because, you know, you guys are longtime political reporters. You both did worked Ottawa before you had Washington. What had to change in the way you covered an elected leader, a president, when it came to Donald Trump? Ooh, where where do you start? Where do you begin? It's all one big blur. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'll tell you that the first thing. I remember Donald Trump. Um, I mean, we could talk about the campaign and just how crazy it was, the enthusiasm. I remember being in places in, in Florida and looking at these lineups all the way down and going, what is going on here? And Hillary Clinton just wasn't getting that kind of enthusiasm. But the polls kept telling us she was going to win. And, and I remember being shell-shocked at three o'clock in the morning when they called the election for Donald Trump. So he, he, you know, he takes power. You think, okay, everyone's saying, you know what? Uh, the presidency will change him. Well, you know what? He changed the presidency from the insults, the meanness, the falsehoods. The One of the first things he, uh, is he says his crowds on inauguration day were bigger than Barack Obama's. And then it begins. It, it, you know, Kellyanne Conway says alternative facts. How do you deal with this? How do you report this? You just have to keep pushing that out, that this is not true, this is not true, this is not true. Paul, how, do you, how do you do that? Because like, have you ever had to fact check any no, kind of a world I mean, leader like that? You know, you know, when Joy talks about the inauguration and, you know, the first, you know, the, the Trump's inauguration, you know, it, it's, that has been talked about so much and yet it's so vital to understanding how the Trump presidency was covered. I think that was on the Saturday after, like the day after the inauguration, I think. And Joe and I were both at that inauguration and we were at the Obama inauguration. And although it sounds facile now to sort of get into the debate over whose crowd was bigger, but when uh, on that moment, at the outset of this presidency, you realized that you were going to be lied to. You were going to be told false information and alternative facts. And all of a sudden now to cover a political story, you knew you were going to be dealing with people that were saying things that were patently, provably untrue. And like, where does that come from? And I know from, you know, you've covered politics, Anna Maria. I mean, politicians and the truth is a, is a complicated relationship at the best of times. Uh, everything from spin and, and interpretation to flat out 
wrong information. And, and our job as journalists is always to sift through that and try to get at the truth and try to get past the agendas of a politician in any party. It's all parties that do it. But from, the, from day one in, in the Trump administration, you knew you were dealing with this. And it, I, I, you know, and like, what do you do then? Because the, the fact is when the president says something, you don't know, is he privy to information that you don't know? Does he, has he been told stuff that is from the, you know, the land of secret things in America that he knows? Well, how, how can you prove, if you're gonna say that that is not true, you have to be able to prove it. And I would say, I'll just pick up on something Joy was talking about, another aspect of covering politics in the age of Trump. You know, Joy was threatened in a, in a or felt threatened anyway, in a lineup at a Trump rally. And so you're dealing with this incredible antagonism regarding the media as well. So you're trying to do your job and we're here just, and, and Joy's also right, the Canadian flag on the camera is a tremendously powerful, I can, I can report that the brand of Canada is strong in this country um, and it, it, it keeps a lot of uh, tensions low, but nonetheless, there's real antagonism and real mistrust of the media. And so that makes our job doubly hard. But Joy, you, you felt that in the lineup, did you not? I did. I, I, I remember this one particular uh, rally that Donald Trump had, and uh, I was speaking with a, a soldier uh, who had done a tour of duty in Afghanistan. He didn't really want to talk, but as Paul said, you know, when you say you're Canadian, they kind of think, oh, these are the nice people up north and they don't really know what's going on. So, we, you know, we'll talk to them. So he does. And I say, you know, what, what, what is it about Donald Trump that makes you come out and stand in line for hours and an hour, hours and hours? And why you want to support him. And he says, well, because he's going to bring jobs. He's going to help us. And, uh, you know, politicians in the past haven't done this for us. Uh, I don't trust the Clintons. I don't trust the Bushes. I don't trust those dynasties. And we need something different. And, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm kind of pressing him a bit more. And, uh, you know, he tells me, look, I'm a soldier. And then at one point he says, uh, look, I have a gun and I don't want to talk to you anymore. And I went, okay, okay, I'm, I'm backing off that kind of thing. And, and it, it's this subtle kind of thing. And I, I just want to, you know, Paul and I've talked about a lot about this, but when you go to these Trump rallies and you're inside the rallies, like outside, it's like a big tailgate party and people will talk to you. Although I've seen some Trump people, supporters, um, actually swear, yell and push uh, other NBC reporters, other uh, American networks. Uh, and and it's, 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 you know, pretty, you know, it's terrible uh, to actually see that sort of thing go on. But inside, it's like being in a gladiator ring. Uh, you're part of the show. Uh, the press is demonized from day one. Donald Trump has weaponized fake news. He calls us uh, enemy of the people. Uh, you know, I just remember what Leslie Stahl asked him in the, in the very beginning when he was elected. And uh, uh, she said, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And he goes, well, because if I demean you and discredit the press, then no one will believe you when you write negative stories about me. This was all planned by Donald Trump. This is why he has, you know, keeps doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on the fake news. So I, on sorry, over those four years, though, then did that, did you see any change? I mean, because you went to a lot of rallies and that's probably the, the, you know, for each of you, most Washington reporters also travel to cover the United States and that kind of goes out the window because you have to travel to cover Trump. And uh, But like, did you see that change over time or did you see it just settle into um, a, like 
a thing that would would be relentless like in terms of how you had to change your coverage in terms of how you had to see this and bring it forward i would say one thing that i would say that uh, uh i was reminded a lot the, the the circumstance that joy describes um you see a lot of uh the antagonism um but and but in, in a weird, maybe counterintuitive way, one of to me one of the most fascinating aspects of covering uh, Trump Nation, as it were, out in the hinterland, outside the uh, beyond the proverbial beltway, is that not all of Trump voters are like that, a and there are millions and millions who are not, you know, the cliche MAGA hat wearing, uh, but 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 actual people with actual bona fide concerns and desires for the way they want their country to go. And they saw some aspects of that in Donald Trump in terms of the ideology of the Republican party. Uh, and they are, their vote matters just as much as anybody else and their opinions matter just as any, as much as anybody else. And so while, you know, often in covering Trump, it, it boils down to kind of caricatures caricatures of the president, caricatures of the people who follow him. But it was always instructive to me to get out and, 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 and meet other Trump supporters who have real concerns that were not being addressed by Democrats. I mean, there's a, there's a reason that he won in 2016, and a lot of it was to do with the force of his personality. But it was also to do with the failures of Democrats to address real concerns in the Kentuckys and in the Southern Ohio's and the West Virginias of the world. And as I say, their votes matter as much as anybody else. And so to me, the, the Trump part of the, 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 one of the lessons of covering Trump was a reminder that there are multiple sides to every story, including in politics. And it's, it's critical to pay attention to the other voices, even if you're thinking, oh, it's Trump nation. They're just people who line up and, and wave their fists and stuff like that, because there's more to it than that. And, you know, as you talk about this, I'm wondering what you think, um, you know, we see the Republicans around him doubling down, obviously the senators, everybody like supporting him right now in this moment. How do you think he has changed the Republican Party going forward? Um, well, give, it's um, the go ahead. I, I was just going to say it's the Trump Party now. I mean, Jared Kushner, in, in some of these tapes that we've heard, uh, in, in journalist Bob Woodward, uh, who had extraordinary access to Donald Trump and, and the family uh, recently has come out with the book, um, they purposely, they call it a hostile takeover. Uh, it, it was the Trump party, and that became very clear early on in the early days. Um, and it's about power. And any Republican that that uh, crossed Donald Trump, I'm thinking of Arizona Senator Jeff Flake, uh, and, and certainly we saw what Donald Trump uh, said about John McCain. And even when John McCain died, he continued uh, to berate him. Um, and, and anyone who crosses Donald Trump loses power. We're still seeing it because Trumpism is still a powerful, powerful tool. Um, and, and, you know, Donald Trump, when he eventually leaves office, uh, he will still very much be part of the Republican Party. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the old Republican Party, I think there, I think a Mitt Romney is part of the old Republican Party. But there, there is this fear and trepidation that if you do cross Donald Trump, somehow you will lose your seat, you will lose power, uh, he will tweet about you, he will say terrible things 
things about you and and then eventually you'll be gone. No, I, at first, I remember again, four years ago, um, you know, the, the question from the get go almost was why have Republicans set aside their principles and just fall in line behind this guy if, if they seem like very uh, different people. And I, you know, I think the answer to that four years ago was that Republicans were given a gift um, completely unexpectedly because let's be honest, the whole planet thought Hillary Clinton was gonna win, et cetera, et cetera. And, and demographics in this country were changing. And so I think Republicans saw it as, uh, you know, they may not get uh, 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 an amount of power in Washington for a generation, given the way things were looking at the time. And then instead, they got a Christmas present. <laughs> they got the White House, they got the House of Representatives, and they got the Senate. And they had this guy in the White House. And I think a lot of Republicans thought, well, he'll grow into the job. Um, so we'll look the other way on some of the, you know, some of the negatives or the shenanigans that might uh, uh, pop up because we want to take advantage of this time that we have in power. He'll settle in. Well, then he didn't, right? So now what do we do? So then the question is, well, why are, why are Republicans still looking the other way for a guy that would seem, in the eyes of many, to not represent uh, the Republican Party? Uh, and the answer to that is, as Joy was hinting, because Trump... And, and Trumpism and his 88 million Twitter followers and the people that are devoutly uh, supportive of him is a powerful voting block in this country. And so come the next, even the looking forward, so what happens to Trump now? Well, he still has the power of to, to, to direct or persuade or nudge or just say out loud, don't support that person in the primaries, support that person. That person isn't enough like me, so support that person and you can bet based on the people that I know that Joy's met and that I've met, people will continue to listen to Donald Trump because as, 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 as Joy says, it's, it's his party now, not the Republican party. And that's a very powerful position to be in for him, even though come January 20th, he won't be president anymore. Okay, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, you make the point that, you know, his base is still there and he got between 71 and 72 million votes, but he still got fewer than Joe Biden. There is a racial reckoning going on in the United States, even if he doesn't really want to recognize that. Um, COVID is like climbing and climbing. Some of those people, they're going to die. Like, so four years from now, do, um, do you think, like, for all sorts of reasons, um, but, but given like those realities of what people actually are going to face because he has not, and we know that he has not dealt with certain things. Um, do you think that the that Trump as this guy who they really support and has that power will last another four years? Or do you think that there could be even more shift coming given all the shift we've seen in the last four years? Well, I, I'm not sure. I'll, <laughs> looking at the last four years, I never could have predicted such a thing. But I, I will say this. When everyone thought Hillary Clinton was going to be the first female president and Donald Trump won, uh, Donald Trump was saying before then, well, maybe I'll start up a media empire, Trump TV. There was all sorts of talk about that. And remember, too, in 2016, Trump was talking about a rigged election. 
because he thought he was going to lose. So mm -hmm. I don't think Trump's going away. Uh, if it's not a media empire, there's even talk now. His former chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, was saying that, uh, uh, you know, perhaps he'll run again in 2024. He is a powerful voice and he has taken over the Republican Party. I guess the question is, in the next four years, which way the Republican Party, what's left of it, um, you know, will not listen to him and try and be what it used to be, um, you know, under a Mitt Romney or, or, or someone like that. Um, or Don Jr. Or Don Jr. could run for all. That's we know. right. I mean, Joy's yeah. right. I mean, all one, one of the things, one of the one of the lessons of 2016 was that voting matters. And another lesson is is uh, is that punditry is meaningless <laughs> in the age of Trump. Like predicting yeah. anything with this guy is, uh, I think, uh, a, a mugs game. You know, I, I would just throw into this uh, aspect you know, uh, what a, a, a Trump supporting voter told me a couple of weeks ago in Arizona when I was, again, this never ending question, what is at the root of, of Trump love? Um, and her answer was that he makes me proud, proud to be American. And she doesn't get that from any other politician. And there's something to that. It sounds trite, right? But man, was it meaningful to that person. And the fact that she, like, all politicians theoretically want to make you proud to be Canadian or American. And the fact that she got this from Donald Trump is what determined her vote. And so, you know, when Joy notes about Trump TV or, or you know, Trump does not strike me as someone that wants to get out of the limelight and, and you know, talk of running in 2024. But you're right, Anna Maria. I mean, demographics continue to change. And that's why Republicans were so thrilled. Well, last time around and they will continue to change so i don't know it's, it's well and arguably we, you know we are um seeing a lot of clips now and and you guys have talked to people who are proud to be an american because um the first woman the first woman of color um is now going to be we you know we expect the vice president because we expect she will get in into the room um with biden but like you know, uh, it, it's interesting because Trump in taking up all the, the air in the room is still the conversation when, in fact, you know, the, the, the great achievement of Kamala Harris as vice president-elect with Joe Biden, um, you know, it, it, again, that makes some people, a lot of people very proud to be an American, too. But they, yeah, don't, have think, the, they don't get the space right now. Uh, yeah, that, but that's a very good point. Um, and, and there's an interesting thing that happened. And, and maybe Joy can speak to this as well on on election. I want to say election night, but on election week. <laughs> election, we week. <laughs> election week. Election week. Election year. Could, <laughs> you, election year. Election election lifetime. You, you could feel. Th there's a funny thing that happens when someone gets elected president. The, the person who was elected president before all of a sudden doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's, it is not in the conversation. And you can you can see that now with the attention being paid to Biden, even though it's in the transition time. Like they call it lame duck for a reason, right? Um, and so I, I think you're right, Anna Maria, that the oxygen that Trump sucked up at first, prior to his being elected, when he was treated as a novelty, the reality show guy, and it was kind of a, 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 an appeal because it was entertaining. But the reason he sucked up so much oxygen since you know January 20th, uh, uh, 2017, Inauguration Day, is because he's the president. Yeah, of course, of course. And now yeah. he won't be the president. And so Biden, it, it, you could feel it. You know, I'm listening to, to the show uh, when I'm, you know, standing in the White House lawn on election week, um, and you could feel that 
the, the amount of attention being paid to Biden shift as the numbers came in. Now, sudden, you know, he's Trump is yesterday's guy all of a sudden, even though he's still Trump and he's still fascinating and interesting in his own sort of way. But what matters is Joe Biden. And I'll tell you, when you leave the Oval Office, right, it's like what what state what happens in the Oval Office, in a sense, stays in the Oval Office. And by that, I mean power. And the reason we paid attention to Trump, even in the craziest of crazy times was because he's the president. And when he isn't the president anymore, and that day is whatever it is now, 69 days away, suddenly everything Joe Biden says matters and nothing mm-hmm. Donald Trump says matters outside of his influence on the 88 million followers. But it's amazing the difference in 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 amount of attention paid to that guy will change immediately. And that is a problem for him in the future. Well, and it just, it just, just underlines. One, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to add one quick thing. For me, it was when Donald Trump came out on, I believe it was last Thursday, and he started to talk about the lawsuits and how he won the election, even though Joe, it was called for Joe Biden. And he's talking, and I noticed something. The networks, even Fox News, all cut away. And to me, I thought, wow, mm. his show has been canceled. The reality show has been canceled and uh, everyone's moving on. What is Joe Biden saying? What is he doing? What what are his policy policies? Remember that? Remember that, Paul? What are his policies? We still don't even know what Donald Trump's second term was supposed to be about, just that he did a great job. No, and I'm going to just, because as you know, as you talk about this, you both obviously have so much more work to do and you have to figure out how you're going to keep moving forward. And yet I'm talking to two, so I'm talking to two very senior correspondents at competing networks. You're in the same house. Um, you're married. I, one of you's up, one of you's down. I know like you're not even doing this together right now. How does that work? Like, I'm, I'm just wondering about, did you have to create ground rules to ensure that you don't compromise your work and to ensure that your big bosses aren't like freaking out because joy over to you (laughs) okay absolutely i mean uh, look uh, we met at at ryerson um and and uh uh you know Anna maria knows our life story but uh um i mean way back when uh when we started working at competing networks um it was very clear that okay, I'm, I'm a competitive person and I know Paul is as well. And we want to do a fabulous story for our network. CTV has been wonderful to me. I have been all over the world uh, covering, you know, amazing historic stories. Uh, but uh, we have rules and I never hear from the husband all day. I get a little text. What's your situation? Um, I need uh, you to pick up tomato uh, paste tonight because <laughs> I'm making spaghetti. I mean, that's how we do it. it. There's kind of like this wall that we set up and, and we just we don't discuss it. But over to you, Paul. We do discuss it when we come home because we vent. We vent about this crazy, crazy political world that we're living in right now. It's actually easier said than done. I mean, there's there's church and state in a sense, and there's work and there's not work. Um, and it has, it is, our jobs are very, very important to us. And we are competitors in a very competitive industry and we respect that. Um, and that makes every decision simple. We don't like to compete with each other. We know that we are, uh, especially during the age of Trump when every story is a Trump story. Um, but, you know, we come home and it's only at the end of the day that we will acknowledge the story that we've both been working on that day. And we might vent about the relentlessness of it or the craziness of it or the insanity of the day. 
And that's about it. You know, it's, it's, it's about respecting the other person's job. And in so doing, you're respecting your own job and your own employer. Um, I, every now and then someone will come up and ask. And, and like Joy says, I mean, the conversation we'll have is basically, are you going to be home for dinner or not? And that's, that's the extent of it. So it, it, you know, the other, the other thing is too, it's, it's funny. At some point you get exhausted of talking politics too, because you're, it's, it's, it's all day long, every day. And I, you know, I say to people sometimes, you know what, there's actually better stuff. There's, there's more to this planet than that. So we can, let's go, you know, let's stop and smell the roses somewhere. And that's what we well, do. Well, yeah, I, I, you are after all a huge Beatles fan. Are you not Paul? Haven't you like taken over at least one room with all your Beatles memorabilia? <laughs> it's hidden under the if bed. I, Oh, okay. If I spun but, the camera around, you'd see you'd see a, a few things that Joy has allowed me to put up on the walls. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's have you ever shown up and been surprised to see the other one already there? Yes. Oh, and, and, uh, oh. Election night. No, the BP oil spill. <laughs> oh, okay, you tell you tell that story first. We were so when when the BP oil spill happened a lifetime ago, um, you know, we we had unbeknownst to each other we uh, each of our networks had lined up uh like live hit spots on the beach with with uh with live hit satellite trucks and things like that and you come down and, you, and as you know Anna Maria when you're on a deadline you're just focused on what you you know you got to oh my god you know Peter Mansbridge is going to be talking to me live on the national preaching so I got to get my words right I got to make sure I'm knowing and you get and I got to the spot on the beach with the Gulf of Mexico behind and it's like I look and like there's joy. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing here at the very next spot? And then we both started talking at the same time, live on TV. And like the last thing you want to hear in your voice is your, is, is that one, because it's like, it's too distracting and I've got to talk this way. And so it's, and we don't, don't like that at all. If we're on the road, we stay in different hotels. I don't want to know. I don't want you do your job. I'll do my job. And everybody's happy. Well, you were next to each other. I usually say night. snide things to them. <laughs> trying, right. trying to get him off his game. No, but I, on election night, you guys ended up next to each other too, didn't you? Outside the White House. Fluke, yep, uh, we and, did. And we didn't like it one bit. Because right, Paul's Joy? voice is very loud and booming. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, you know, it's it, the funny thing is, I mean, it gets back to the central question here. How do you, how do you do it? Because it's like, it's such a, dis, like, I don't want to be distracted. But there we were. I mean, it's quite a thrill on, on one level, like of all the gin joints in the world, all this time after Ryerson or whatever, it's it's election night in America and we're standing on the White House lawn next to each other. I mean, I'm, you know, personally speaking, it was a quite a quite a moment. But at the same time, when Joy told me that uh, that she uh, knew the spot that she was going to be in and, and I said, oh, you've got to be kidding. I, I, I do not want to hear your voice. All And I would actually if she was doing a hit, I would just walk away if I wasn't needing to do a hit simply to stay focused it was because it's 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 hard to describe because it doesn't sound like it would be uh, complicated but it, it can get so well you know I, i'll I, just I, add I, one one more quick thing yep, though I, yep. just, just because um you know we talk about being distracted by one another but i will say this when you're doing and you know this anna maria when you're doing live hits and i'm talking to lisa on election night you are so laser focused on that and and you just tune out everything and my, my secret is i put earplugs in as well so oh, I don't that's have always good. Voice. That's good to know. Well, you know, there uh, we got we do have a question from David Gorman who said, you know, the uh, and I guess he's talking about like the whole Trump coverage and the election specifically. Did you have any fun, or was it just a slog? You know, it. I would say 
it, it feels like a slog because it's been two straight weeks of just this, but I mean, it's been the last five years, but yeah, it is fun sometimes. It, it's fun because it, you just watch this country. You talk to so many people. I mean, you know, when we talk about Trump supporters, I mean, Paul's right. Some of them are lovely little old ladies that remind you of your grandmother and they're sweet and, and lovely. And, and, you know, they're, they're getting something from Donald Trump because he, he tells them he is their voice. Uh, I, I remember the last story I did uh, on evangelicals, why so many support him when we know about the Access Hollywood tape, when we know about, you know, all the allegations of uh, sexual assault, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, for, for some people, it's just this one issue and it, it's about abortion to them. Um, but, you know, when you're there, you get caught up in all of this crazy politics that's going on. So I don't know that I'd call it fun, fun, but it's kind of like, wow, can you believe we're here? Like Paul said on election night, can you believe two Two kids from Ryerson, you know, are here. The biggest story on the planet. I'm prepared to call it fun. It is slogging. It is like the logistics of it are complicated, but it is a it is a blast. I'll say that it is a privilege in this incredible country that, that we're in. It is a privilege talking to um, voters and Americans about any of this. Uh, Americans, you know, it's... The First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason, and people here believe in the right to have an opinion and the right to express it, and will walk up to you if you have a microphone in your hand uh, to speak with you uh, about anything. And when it's about politics, uh, they have deeply held convictions and feelings, and it is, I love it. I mean, it's, 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 there's the spectacle of the, of the politics of it, and that's like on steroids with Trump when you're at these rallies that Joy talks about, and they are incredible experiences to go through. But just meeting and talking with Americans is, an, is, is one of the pleasures of the job. So it's been a blast. So as, as you continue to cover what's going on, uh, let's talk about Joe Biden as president. Um, any thoughts you have on Joe Biden as president for Canada? Um, in terms of how anything might change um, and in terms of the challenges he now faces. I, do you want to go, Joy? Sure. I, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, one of the first world leaders to congratulate Joe Biden was our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Um, and of course, other world leaders have followed suit. I mean, there are concerns about Keystone Pipeline, that Joe Biden, some of his environmental plans. But you know what's going to return this sense of normal relations uh, where I, and I'm just thinking back where uh, Donald Trump would go to NATO and diss his uh, US allies, diss NATO, uh, say he's paying too much and you guys you know, are making us look like suckers and losers and uh, alienating people to, to the point where Europeans tried to figure, you know, European leaders tried to figure Donald Trump out and then they just kind of went, well, you know what, we just have to move on. I remember this one press conference with um, uh, uh, the uh, French uh, Prime Minister Macron, and uh, he's trying to convince Donald Trump, don't pull out of uh, the Paris Accord, don't pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. And they have this big press conference, but in between all of this, there's this moment, and these are telling moments to me, where Donald Trump is acting like a gorilla in the room, and he's picking little things off of Macron's um, uh, lapels, and it's 
it, it was kind of like this dominance thing. And you knew all along Donald Trump was not going to listen to Macron. He tried, but, you know, he just wouldn't listen. So I think this this return to, to, to normalcy and relationships with U.S. allies, including Canada, that, uh, you know, Donald Trump who would slap steel tariffs on Canada at a whim, I don't think that's going to happen. There will be disagreements, but there always are. I, I think there's going to be this this recognition that we are friends, we are neighbors, uh, business partners, and again, it, it'll be a return to, to normal. I, I think the short answer is it, it just will be easier again. And I, mm. I you know, you can almost hear the, the, the sigh of relief uh, from the embassy and from Ottawa, uh, not on a, on a necessarily on an ideological basis, but just that it's gonna be easier and more predictable. Uh, I, I would say one other thing that uh, somebody, uh, a colleague of mine, and this was a while ago now, probably 15 years ago, um, but was it, it, with uh, Regio Canada, was doing some analysis of trade between the two countries over the course of times where presidents and prime ministers got along and, and when presidents and prime ministers did not in the history of Canada-US relations. And he went back to, I think, as far back as um, Kennedy and Diefenbaker times, and they didn't get along, and Nixon and Trudeau didn't get along, but Gretchen and, and Clinton did, you know, so there's this up and down zigzag of, of you know, strong relation, friendship kind of thing, and, and not so much. And then the contrast was the dollar amount of trade between the two countries. And so while the zigzag went like this of, you know, like him, hate him, like him, hate him, like him, hate him, but trade just kept going up no matter what. So I think a lot is made of, of uh, the, the effect of, a president and the personality of a president vis-a-vis -vis us as a country or, or us uh, uh, meaning the prime minister. But at the end of the day, you know, this just keeps happening. This will get easier, I think, is the consensus under Biden uh, and the relationship will be easier. Um, COVID aspects aside, and that's not a small one right now, but it's, things will just progress. But as they have, I think is the key to remember that even when when it's a complicated president, well, that still happens. And I think that's important to remember. Um, Reverend Ka Karen Harrison is asking, how much have we lost in North America because of the Trump presidency? And what are the consequences in the years to come, do you think? Well, I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> well, Joy's taking a breath on that. Uh, I'll say that, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the rest of the planet was perplexed uh, by the election of Donald Trump and the Trump presidency. Uh, I know from talking to uh, and hearing from what you would call senior officials um, that there were countries in Europe, for example, that were thinking, well, we just have to find a way to get along without America. Um, and so things such as that have been lost. But I think at the same time, America is a, you know, it's, I think people thought this won't last forever. And it turns out that it didn't. And nothing, no bridge has been broken that isn't uh, fixable. Uh, and I think world leaders know that. And I think you can hear that in the language uh, from world leaders in talking about the Biden presidency. Uh, it goes back to the Canadian example. It's, it's sort of back to normal. Everything is easier again now. The world continues to have terrible problems, COVID chief among them. Uh, everything, everything that was 
stretched or broken. I, I, I don't mean to be blue skyish about it, but I think it's repairable. And I think the rest of the world knows that. Well, okay. There, there, so there was that, this. I'll, I'll, sorry, just sorry, I, another, I, I'll just jump to another sure. question and Joy, maybe you can answer it. Uh, Barry, because there's so many people trying to get questions and I'm trying to squeeze them all in here. Barry McLaughlin uh, asks, what lesson can we draw about media coverage of the presidential election? And I think he's talking about the, like the wider thing. Any oh, well, I think going into this election, there was great concern uh, among all journalists that uh, that we not suddenly pronounce someone a winner, uh, that we wait, we count every single vote. And that's why election day became election week. There were warnings about that. And, and I think the other lesson we would take is the polls. They were so wrong in 2016, not on the popular vote, but they were so wrong. And I think what the, the polls this time around, I wouldn't say they were totally wrong, but the, this so-called feeling that there was going to be a landslide for Joe Biden and it did not happen, um, I think the problem is they weren't reaching enough Trump voters. And I wouldn't say that they were just shy Trump voters that didn't want to tell pollsters, yeah, I'm voting for the guy, but don't tell anyone kind of thing. Um, I, I think they just weren't reaching into, uh, you know, pockets of America uh, where Trump voters are and proud to be Trump voters. Um, I think that those are, you know, that that was the, you know, the lesson anyway from, for me from election night. Uh, uh, and, 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 and also, you know, just presenting the facts, just presenting what you see, what you hear, and just putting it out there and not, you know, for five years, you try not to get caught up in this kind of whirlwind of stuff coming at you constantly. The news changes. The news cycle isn't like a day or a week. It's like every other hour, the tweets that are coming at you that are presidential statements, by the way, and just all this stuff coming at you and taking a step back and say, okay, what is the big picture here? What am I telling Canadians? Because of course there is a short form um, for American reporters down here because everybody knows who Amy Coney Barrett is. Everybody knows who Mitch McConnell is, uh, but, but you have to explain uh, you know, and give context why these people matter in a certain kind of story. I would mm. just jump in that, that I think, you know, what is the lesson implies, I have an answer to this and I, and I don't. Um, but <laughs> one of the things that we learned uh, one of the things that I struggled with, let me put it this way, over the past four years, is how to deal with the shiny things. Uh, and by that, I mean tweets that are so oddly jaw-dropping and fascinating that we pay so much attention to at the expense of, you know, arguably more substantive stuff. Um, and, and Joy hinted at that in, in what she just said, in that you have to remember that he is the president. And so his tweets are his words and they matter. And yet you're thinking we're giving so much time to this. And even if you, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be inside Donald Trump's head, but if he is sending them out merely as a distraction for some other big bad news that happened that day, knowing that we'll all jump on it, yeah. um, we jump on it nonetheless. And, and, and I don't. How do you not? That's I, I, how do you not? He is the president and that's the problem. And as I say, if that was an intentional thing, uh, well, that's, you know, the whole cat and mouse thing of staying, you know, staying ahead of figuring out the the counter to that kind of thing, because any president can come along now and recognize that if we throw something out at those dumbass reporters, they're going to jump on this and <laughs> they won't notice this other thing. And, and that, you know, do we have an answer? Do I have an answer to that? No, other than try your damnedest to make sure you don't set aside the bigger stuff, even if you are 
paying attention to the so-called shiny things. It's it's been a complicated four years on that front. And fact checking is another, right? How do you how do you fact check when when you have to fact check everything, you know? And that's I, I don't have the answer to that either. I mean, the, the, if nothing else, the Trump presidency outlined a, a number of challenges that journalists everywhere are still grappling with. I'm just wondering, do you think that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris could get away with even a fraction of that kind of um, that kind of tweeting, that kind of insulting people? Uh, like if they tried it, if they decided they were going to do some of that for their own political um, policy, would they get away with it the way he has essentially gotten away with it? They're not reality show TV stars uh, from The Apprentice. I mean, Donald Trump has branded uh, himself as that. And he's, you know, I, I just think back to, to a campaign stop with him and Ted Cruz, rivals for the job of presidency. And, you know, reporters asked Ted Cruz, why did you come out and have a campaign, you know, event with Donald Trump when you're both trying to get the same job? And he said, because Donald, brings hundreds of cameras with him. I don't think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to play that kind of game. Um, but but I've seen from, certainly from Kamala Harris, I mean, she will push back. I mean, she will say, you know, and, and so will Joe Biden. But but what we've seen is this calmness uh, in, in the, the few uh, press conferences that they've had since, you know, they've become president-elect and, um, you know, vice president-elect. Uh, uh, they, they bring about a sense of calmness and, and a sense of normalcy and a sense of we've got to get stuff done because where Donald Trump would uh, say we're rounding the corner on the virus, it doesn't exist. Uh, uh, let's get the economy uh, going. Uh, you know, uh, let's just forget about all of these, uh, you know, nearly a quarter of a million uh, Americans that have died. They're saying, no, we've got a real problem here. And they're going back to the problems. And they, it, it is monumental the problems they have to face as soon as they get in. Donald Trump is very good at what he does as well. Uh, and witness yeah. all the other candidates in the Republican primaries of 2015. They tried to take him on uh, at his own game um, and failed miserably. Donald Trump, I mean, is very good at that. Barack Obama said a, a little, uh, like in the, in the waning days of the campaign, when the, the, the story of the Chinese bank account with Trump came up and, and Obama himself said the kind of things that a lot of people have said, put Obama in Trump's shoes on any one of these stories and nobody would stand for it. And, and Obama said, yeah, they'd be calling me Beijing Barry and stuff. So Trump could get away with it because he's excellent at it. He is skilled at it in a way others are not. If, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris decided to do stuff like that, um, I don't know. I think it also plays to the fact that, that Trump supporters eat it up as well and it's it's a different ball game with with Democrats. I, I just it's not really an answer to your question. No, I think Andrea, it is. Actually. I, just don't I think, think that's a, that's the answer that that their supporters want more something more substantive. But you both have just hit on something, which means there's so much work to do. Which means for I for both of you, there's so much work to do too. So <laughs> thanks for taking the time, and I hope you get to come up for air soon. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, Keep that, that separation on church and state there and keep doing great jobs. <laughs> Join Malvin, Paul Hunter, thanks a lot. Total fun, Anne-Maria. Wish we had more time. Yeah, well, Me take too. Care. Thanks, Anne-Maria. Bye-bye.
Right. Um, we're going to all be watching the U.S. and this uh, state of transition as we go forward. So thanks to all of you for joining us and for all of your questions. As usual, I couldn't get them all in. You had some great questions, though, so thank you. And we hope we, you will join us for our final show of 2020. It is November 19th, which is uh, next week, next Thursday. We're exploring the mental health toll for journalists who are covering the pandemic the challenges they face both personally and professionally, and what can be done to help reporters cope through this ongoing reality. Our show will feature Dr. Anthony Feinstein, President of Psychiatry, uh, Professor, sorry, Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto. Anthony Feinstein is a global authority on how journalists are impacted by the traumatic events on which they report. And joining him will be Mira Selva, Director of the Journalist Fellowship Program at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. Planning is underway for more J Talks in the new year. Uh, for updates, you can follow the Canadian Journalism Foundation on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or visit the website to sign up for the newsletter. See you next time, stay safe, and thanks for being with us today.